Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through registered representatives of Cambridge Investment Research, a broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services through Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Cornerstone Financial Consultants are not affiliated. Welcome to the Journey Mindset Podcast. My name is Sean Ulrich and I'm a financial advisor at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri. And I am joined today, as always, by my co-host Ron Shear. And Ron is a former financial advisor with a wealth of knowledge on all things investing. So we are lucky to have him today. And Ron, we got to start off with this news, man. Big trade in Cardinal Nation last week, a couple weeks ago. And uh, I got to get your take, man. What is your take on the Nolan Arenado signing? Well, you know what? I'm surprised that the Cardinals did it because they've kind of been sitting on their, uh, I would say their hands, but I think it's mostly been their pocketbook or their purse. And they, <laughs> they just haven't done a lot, which I think is disappointing to a lot of Cardinal fans. And But I was very pro- pleasantly surprised that they uh, recognized that, uh, you know, we need somebody uh, on that hot corner. And I think uh, Arenado is a, a great addition. I'm, I'm, I'm frankly just really pleased uh uh, it's going to be interesting to to see what he does with a bat because St. Louis's ballpark, Bush Stadium, a lot different than uh, Coors Field. I mean, uh, uh, you you get some help out there, just like if you were playing in Chicago. Hmm. And St. Louis is not typically a hitter's ballpark, but uh, he's uh, he's got all the right tools. I mean, when it comes to the glove, I mean, Gold Glove. I mean, almost every year he's been in the in the bigs. So yep. you can't uh, you can't really second guess that. But uh, no, I was thrilled. I'm really happy to see that. Uh, that they went after him, and it must have been a tough acquisition. So, uh, but they hung in there, and I, I think he was very upfront in saying that he didn't necessarily want to stay in Colorado. It was not yep. a place he really wanted to be. Man, I'm just super excited for the city. You know, they made all yeah. those developments around Bush Stadium. There's so many people that have such hope and optimism for the Cardinals organization for them to make a move like that. I mean, it shocked me. It shocked the heck out of me. Well, in spite of what the rest of the world thinks and the commissioner of football, Roger Baddell or whatever his name <laughs> is, Goodell, 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 he, you know, St. Louis is a great sports fan hmm. city. Yeah. It, it truly is. I mean, look at all the years we we spot, we supported the Rams as lousy as they were. It's always been a crappy franchise, and it always will be, no matter where they are or, or who owns them. They're just... They're just a poor franchise, and hmm. we ended up with them. But the, the people in St. Louis will support. It's it's obvious they supported the Blues. They supported the baseball Cardinals. They supported the football Cardinals back in the in the day, and they they supported the uh, the L.A. Rams, the now L.A. Rams. And you know, I think I don't think the final chapter's been written on that. But uh, I'm glad to see it for the Cardinal Nation anyway. I think it's terrific. Me too, man. I'm excited heading into the season. Absolutely. So our topic for today is going to be reviewing back over some principles found in a book titled, Why Didn't They Teach Me This in School? 
And, and as we're all pretty uh, well aware, the American education system historically has not done a great job of preparing people to handle their own personal finances. And this is a huge oversight and one that a lot of people are taking steps to correct. Now that I'm in the finance industry, I'm starting to see people take right. some steps in this right direction. So I got to ask you, Ron, what was your experience like as a young person growing up in school in regards to financial education? Um, I was fortunate to the extent that my father, not my mother, of course, that was a generation ago uh, where, you know, sad comment, but the men took care of all the things financial. My dad was very, very astute at that. He had a, all of a fifth grade education, but he was wow. a, uh, he was an investor and he bought utilities back, uh, you know, when he could afford to do so. And it worked out well. Uh, I can say that I had a little exposure to it in high school, but uh, you know, my minor, my my bachelor's degree is in, my degree is in journalism. I have a minor in economics. So I did get a little more exposure there. But <laughs> the economic structure back in the mid-70s or early to mid-70s was completely different. <laughs> I mean, some of the basic <laughs> principles still the same, but things have changed markedly since uh, since I graduated from school. So bottom line is, is that there's not enough taught uh, about economics and even how to how to handle a checking account or savings account or a credit card. I mean, it's obvious. Look at the trouble Americans have with it. So true. And I got to say for myself, it wasn't a huge topic of discussion in my home growing up. And it really wasn't until later in college. I think it was maybe my junior or senior year of college at Louisiana Tech. I took a class. It was something like Econ 101, Finance 101, but they just kind of ran through Dave Ramsey's principles. And mm -hmm. the guy that taught it had a huge passion for personal finance right. and kind of laid those building blocks. And I was like, man, this would be a really cool industry to go into. Uh, so anyway, it just uh, inspired me to be where I am today. So as we jump into some of the principles for this book, this really could be a series because there's 99 different personal money management tips that this book gives us. So who knows, we could revisit this topic at a later date. And the number one tip for keeping your finances yeah. in line is marry the financially right person. And I think the answer here is simple, Ron. We just got to marry rich, man. That's it. <laughs> you know, there's some 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 people get more with a, with two words "I do" than than others can work a lifetime. And and uh, um, you know, and I'm that's all. As Forrest Gump would say, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> man, so we're starting off in an area that obviously I haven't experienced yet in life. So we're going to rely on you for these first couple of points here to uh, to carry us, uh, you know, through this marriage and money conversation. And the quote from the book says, I don't mean marry a financial genius or somebody who is wealthy. Marry somebody who has good financial habits. This personal quality is often ignored during the courting process. In fact, you're usually trying to impress the opposite sex with expensive dinners, extravagant dates, and impressive presents. I know some girls nowadays would argue that that is not the case, but uh, hey, that's just how it goes sometimes. So digging a little bit deeper into the point that this book encourages, it encourages people to talk about money philosophy, getting a better understanding of if people are savers or if he or she is a spender, do they believe in debt, and how soon do you want to own a home? It also talks about understanding what each other's assets are, salary, debt levels, credit histories, all kinds of things you talk about on the first date all the time. Right, know? exactly right. <laughs> uh, so, Ron, man, I got to ask, when when you were an advisor, how did you navigate those initial financial conversations with people about marriage? Well, one of the things that, that we've always did, always did do with, uh, with new clients and uh, and we used to have a little uh, particular, and I learned this from Larry, our uh, Larry Kleppe, who was a full uh, certified financial planner. 
But we would do kind of a, an assessment of how people spend their money, hmm. and you can kind of get a pretty good picture of how uh, 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 how people uh, how they save or how they spend. And you know, and, and I gotta say, you know, I've been blessed. My wife is a very good money manager. She could take a a dollar and stretch it further than than is believable. But she was good at that, and it, it was so, certainly helpful. I will also say this. I think women, in a lot of ways, get a bad rap for this because I know some men who, who uh, boy, it's easy to figure out what uh, what they spend a year. Just take what they make and add about 10% because oh. they're spenders. It, it's not all women yep. that do the spending. So, I mean, for the... For uh, you know, and I'm not trying to suck up to anybody, anybody because <laughs> I make sure your wife listens I, to this. I'm married 50 years, and I don't uh, need I don't need to do it. But the truth of the matter is, is men are are sometimes guilty of this too. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot spending that is, mm, and there's a lot to cover. But it seems like so many fights happen because of marriage. I like that point. I was like, man, that's a good one to start off with. The second point of today, why didn't they teach me this in school? Is stay married to the financially right person. And the quote from the book is that the quickest way to a financial downfall is divorce. And it details all the expenses that come along with it, including legal fees and administrative excess living costs, alimony and child support, stuff that as a kid, man, you never even consider that stuff. The book really encourages to be happy with what you have, kind of mirroring back to what we were talking about with our stewardship and contentment podcast. And the last point the, books ma- the book makes on staying, staying married to the financially right person is have honest discussions about your financial life throughout your marriage. By this, I mean write down and talk about your monthly budget, net worths, financial problems, opportunities, and future financial goals. These need to be ongoing discussions, not just once a year, but monthly or more often. So before we move on to our third point, Ron, any words of wisdom on staying married? To well, the I mean, I right think that's, 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 mm. a, that's a very valid point. Uh, you know, the covenant of marriage is, is for a lifetime, through, for better or for worse, through sickness and health. And, mm. you know, and finally, uh, it, when, the, when the ultimate happens and a spouse passes away, you know, that's, uh, but, you know, divorce, you see so much of it. 50% of uh, marriages don't last today. And that's a sad commentary on, on our society. And that 50% uh, uh, is not an insignificant percentage for the simple reason that if you go through a divorce and I don't care what you have, you're going to, 50% of it's going to go away and you can just say goodbye to it. Yep. To me, it makes more sense uh, to stay married and work on the marriage. And, and uh, but here again, Financial conditions and financial problems are, are the biggest, the single number one reason why people quarrel in a marriage. It's a, it's a, it's, it can be a very big problem, but you have to work at it together. And, and communication is always the, that's always the best way. Get it out in the open, talk about what your situation is and how you plan to fix it. Mm. Our third point for today is going to be having and raising children costs lots of money. So I, I searched for this, Ron, and I found a good quote for us to kick this point off. And this is from Jerry Seinfeld. He said, <laughs> having a two-year-old is kind of like having a blender, but you don't have a top for it. So, <laughs> man, oh, man, I thought that one rang true. The uh, author starts off this point by saying it can be very difficult to say no to your children. You want them to be happy, and happiness for a lot of people usually means stuff. Right. Some major expenditures that need to be considered before having a kid are education, health care, food, and clothing, things that when you're younger right. you don't necessarily think about. Then eventually down the line you're going to want the bigger house, the better car, the higher the utility bills, entertainment, sports, all kinds of activities like that. And they say it can cost anywhere from $150,000 to $250,000 $250, to raise each kid 
before college expenses. So in your expertise, Ron, as an advisor, what has been your experience with the cost of raising kids? Well, it's an expensive proposition. It is. There's no question about that. There's a there's a cost with all of it. But I always look at things, uh, you know, using the Ben Franklin method. I take a blank sheet of paper and draw a line down the center and you the good and the bad. And, and, and raising kids is... Uh, is a wonderful thing, and to be a parent is a wonderful thing, which you don't know yet, but you're going to mm. find out at some point. And I don't care what it costs; it's worth every penny. But mm. you, having said that, you have to be somewhat guarded. You can't, uh, you can't uh, live vicariously through your children. I mean, you have to control the spending. You have to do the best that you can to provide fooding, fooding, food and shelter. <laughs> Boy. Uh, hmm. Food and shelter and, and clothing and education. And education is a big one. There's, there's no question about it. Having said all that, I think that your kids need to be somewhat invested in their education. We, uh, our goal was always to pay uh, for the undergraduate work for our kids, and, and we raised for. And, uh, and uh, the graduate work, if they opted to do that, was on them. So, but, but they also had jobs, or they also had a little, uh, a, a little student loan that, that went with it. They had to have some skin in the game to make yep. sure that they understood, and we understood, that they were serious about a college education. Yeah, about halfway through my college experience, I got a call from my dad, and he said, "Look, like he said, look, you know, you're going to need to take out a student loan for the second half, the second semester." Yeah. And uh, that was one of the first times in my life I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be a responsibility that's going to carry with mm-hmm. me after college," that's and it just right. made the situation a little bit more real. Sure, it did. And some practical ways that people can pre- can plan and prepare for raising kids and later in life is through a five twenty nine plan, which is just a, an educational savings plan that's done through through specific states where the investment gains will grow tax-free, and you can actually withdraw that money out of that account tax-free as well, as long as it's used for educational purposes. And these are usually the first choice for people that are looking to plan for college uh, because they have higher contribution limits, but the investment selection is a little bit more limited. The other way that people can plan and prepare for college for kids is through what's called a Coverdale ESA, which has $2,000 a year contribution limits. It gives you a much wider investment flexibility, but they also grow tax-free and the money comes out tax-free if it's used for educational purposes. That's right. Principle number four of why didn't they teach me this in school was to number four, always live within your means. And Ron, I think we have a community of people here in Washington where you can see that a lot of people work really hard and they've saved a good amount of money. They don't spend too much on what they don't need. And I don't think anybody's perfect as a whole, but I got to say, man, I've been impressed with the community uh, showing their ability to save over a long period of time. And again, I do think this comes back to that contentment and that being grateful for what you have piece. And the scripture that I like is in Proverbs 13.7, where it says, One person pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. And so I'm curious for you, Ron, do you have any words of wisdom when it comes to living within your means? Uh, we've always kind of lived by the motto that uh, the secret to our happiness is not that we have more, but that we want less. And, hmm. and uh, we've, we've, uh, we've had some success financially in life, and, and I, I think it'd be disingenuous to say otherwise, but uh, we've always played it pretty, pretty conservatively, and, uh, and, and we've worked hard, and we've saved hard, and been good savers, and I think that... Uh, uh, I think that's a recipe for a lot of happiness. So, you know, we've come to learn very early in our marriage that debt does bad things to people. Mm. It, it just does. So you got to watch, 
you got to watch how you wh how you, what you earn and and how what you keep but you also have to watch uh, how you spend money and you can't get sideways with credit cards or hmm. a home mortgage you have to be very very careful in that area Man, hey that's if you got if you got the money you got the cash flow live in the biggest house house in Gotham or <laughs> in Washington I mean that's, that's yeah. uh, nothing wrong with you God bless you and God love hmm. you but but if you you know don't don't be a wannabe be be just just be upfront be who you are and live within your means and just a reminder, you're listening to the Journey Mindset podcast. You can connect with us at thejourneymindset.com or reach out to us by phone at 636-239-5000. And my take on living within your means is it has to start with tracking your expenses yep. over a long period of time. And I think it goes back to num point number one and number two, which was marry the financially right person, stay married to the yep. financially right person. And somebody, one of the two of you has got to step up and say, hey, we need to actually start tracking this sure. and keeping us all accountable. Or... You need to make that decision to meet with a financial pro professional, hopefully quarterly, if not more often. You just make sure you're staying on that right track. And I know that we like to think of our monthly income as a, like a pie chart, and you want to decide where that piece of the pie is going to go each month. So our fifth tip on why didn't they teach me this in school is number five, take care of your stuff. And this book has to say a lot about taking care of your stuff. And the quote is that now that you're on your own, this is speaking to people that are just coming out of college, you're paying for everything you buy right. and you want it to last. I guarantee that if you take care of your stuff, you will save tens of thousands of dollars over your lifetime. It also encourages people to get service contracts on all household utilities. And according to moneycrashers.com, there are six things that you can save a bundle on by simply taking care of them over a long period of time. Number one is your car. Number two is your heating and cooling systems. Number three is major appliances. Four is roof and gutters. Five is computers and other electronic devices. Being uh, careful about security, especially in time where technology continues to just, you know, grow at a rate that not a lot of us can keep up with. And then the last one was clothes, taking care of your clothes. I got I to gotta mention, Ron, you're rocking some sweet boots. I don't know if those are those L.L. Bean boots you were wearing last time, but I got to compliment you on those. Well, huh? I, I got to tell you, you know, it's cold and nasty outside, and these are L.L. Bean boots, but Ooh. they're older than you are. I can tell you that. <laughs> and you talk about taking care of stuff. Mm. I, uh, you know, I, I'm a great believer in duct tape and WD-40. <laughs> and these babies got a coat of WD-40 yesterday. It kind of brightens up that, mm. that rubber and keeps it kind of supple and kind of, alive and, and it's good for the leather upper there too so but yeah thanks for don't 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 covet my boots because they're on my feet they're going to stay there but uh, you're right do take care of your stuff it's very very important if you you know don't don't take for granted what you have it's it's all a gift it's it's a, it's a blessing and a gift from God, oh, every bit of it. And I got to say, I tried to order some of those L.L. Bean boots, and I think I told you, man, they came in the mail, and they were kind of plastic, and yeah. they just weren't the same quality. Yeah, so. it's not the same anymore. A lot of stuff's made overseas where it mm. used to be uh, good stuff made in uh, uh, up in the, you know, in the, in the, in the uh, New England area. Those yeah. people know how to live in cold weather, and that's where a lot of that stuff was produced. But mm. it's, uh, it's, it's a different day now. Yeah, for sure. And point number six, so why didn't they teach me this in school? And this is a cool one because I think so many people have such a blast in high school is to expand your circle of friends and your associates. We talk about this yeah, all the time right. on this podcast, so we're going to kind of breeze right through it. But I know that you and I really have enjoyed the benefits of growing our circles and growing our friends uh, and just making that a priority. Number seven is going to be give yourself an annual financial physical. And so we're going to go through this a little bit more in detail here soon. But Ron, what are some of the first things that come to your mind when you think of an annual financial physical? 
Well, one of the things that I take a look at is is uh, where we are financially. You know, you've got certain amount of liabilities, particularly in your younger life when you're just newly married and you're raising kids. You know, you got a house payment, you got car payments, and you've got payments. So, I mean, I always kind of looked at that and 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 looked at what our total liabilities were in a given year. And then I looked at what our assets were and included income in that. Hmm. And so to make sure that, that you can't, you can't have liabilities that over overpower or over, uh, are larger than your, than your assets or your income. So, I mean, it's always good to know where you are. And I always call it, you know, if you're going to take a, take a long trip, you've got to have a roadmap. You have to have a financial roadmap as well. If you got it, you know where hmm. you're starting and you know where you want to end up and this is something you do on an annual basis to kind of take and say, hey, where am I in my fan financial plan? And that's one of the things you need to do is take a certain amount of, of uh, you know, look and where you're spending money. It's, it's an eye opener, Sean, when yep. people sit down and look at their check register, which people don't do anymore because you don't have don't use a checkbook. But stop and look at where where you spend your money. It's an eye opener. How much money you can actually get to spending it on food and, and eating out and those types of things. I'm not saying those are bad things, but you have to be able to afford to do that. So true. And I did this just the other day. I went back and looked at kind of age 24, 25, 26, 27. And it is cool to see if you track, you know, savings, investing, emergency fund, all right. those different things and see the uh, progress that you can make in a good market. It's just fun. It's fun to be able to go back and look at it and be like, man, I'm, uh, I'm keeping up with what I was hoping to have gotten to at this point. There you go. And so let's run through a list of what people can uh, look at or, you know, kind of check off as they're going through a financial physical for themselves. Number one is going to be tax planning. We're getting into that tax season where sure. people are looking into it. You want to have a good CPA and you also want to have a tax efficient portfolio. That's right, Sean. It is what you make. Cool. It's what you keep. So true. And if you're somebody that is in need of some uh, investment planning, reach out to us at 636-239-5000. And as investors, we try to get the both, best of both worlds. We want to get some good growth on our money, but at the same time, we want to be able to save some on taxes when we do realize some of those gains. The second thing that you can do with a financial physical or a checkup is understand your company's benefits that you're working for. Can you make that contribution into the 401k, uh, you know, or are, is it already getting deferred into the 403b? And what are some other things that come along with that job that you're working for? Are they helping you take care of that medical insurance? You know, are, is there a, another benefit that you could actually tap into that you weren't even aware of? So that's something we have people look at when they come in to talk to us. Number three would be retirement planning. Man, we had a year of such incredible gains. Yeah, you know, it was I, a good year. I think it, it, you know, it really made people's retirement horizon speed up in some instances where people are saying, man, I'm starting to consider this a little bit earlier than right. before, uh, which can be awesome in an account like a Roth IRA where you get some tax-free growth on that money. And retirement planning is something we're starting to see a lot, you know, like I was mentioning, Ron. So I got to ask you, man, you're in retirement. How's life coming along in, in your retirement stage for you right now? Oh, we're, we're just uh, mm. we're just living, living the dream. We mm. uh, we we have uh, we have a good retirement. My wife was a, a school teacher in the public school system for nearly 30 years and uh, enjoys a retirement there. And of course, then then uh, we being in this business, we. Uh, uh, had a number of retirement retirement plans, but life is life is good. It, it mm. truly is, and it's uh, this is uh, the enjoyment of what we the plans that we made and, and executed years and years and years ago. We're living that today and living yeah. on that, by the way. And that's uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. And 
And uh, I'd say it this way, so far, so good. Good, yeah. man. Good. Well, number four on the financial checkup list is to do exactly what you recommended. Look at those assets. Look at those liabilities. Assets can include cash, investments, real estates, cars, and boats, if you're at that stage of life, to be able to get to something like that. And uh, being able to compare that against the debts that you have on that real estate, on those cars, and then hopefully not. But uh, if you have any credit card debt, being able to knock that out as quickly as possible. Number five, when you're going through your financial checkup, is to look at your insurance and what types of insurance. And this is going to change every year in people's lives, Mm -hmm, looking at disability, looking at life, looking at long-term care. If you're somebody that's trying to take care of of a loved one long term. Ron, I got to ask you, man, when it comes to insurance specifically, through your years, what are some big kind of takeaway lessons that you've had when it comes to insurance planning? I, when we talk to younger clients, typically those who carry quite a little bit of debt, it might be a husband and a wife, and, and uh, they may have a couple of kids, it's incredibly important at that point in time to have insurance because hmm. most families today are dual income. It takes a husband and a wife to uh, to keep the gears moving and the lights on and everything moving it in the right direction at at your home and to raise children, so you have to play this game. It's a it's an ugly game to have to play, but nonetheless you have to shock people sometimes to get them to think which one of those incomes. What would happen if one of those incomes was lost because mm-hmm. of a disability or a death? And that's where I think insurance can come in. And I think you have to buy insurance and buy it just as cheaply as you can. And, and that's, sometimes that points directly to term insurance. And I know there are going to be some insurance agents out there who are going to hate me for <laughs> saying that. But you know what? They've hated me for a number of years for a simple reason. That's always been our message to our investors. Buy insurance, hmm. but buy it as cheaply as you can. Um, and uh, it's important. Then you get into long-term care and those types of things. As you get older, you can let the, the those... Uh, term insurance policies last lapse because you don't have the debt that you had when you were first married and raising kids. And at that point in time, then you have to start to consider uh, what would happen if you, uh, one of you end up or two, both of you end up in a nursing home for an extended period of time because mm-hmm. they, it costs tremendous amounts of money to stay in those places. So true. So true. And number six on our financial checkup list is estate planning. And this is a great idea to make sure that your assets don't get caught up in probate before you pass away. Having things like a will, updating your beneficiaries on your investment accounts with your insurance companies to make sure that everything is in line in case the uh, you know unspeakable happens. Right. And really just getting a better idea of how you can protect your family from a major headache and make sure that the money that you've worked hard to earn doesn't get caught up. And the last two points I wanted to make in our show today in the why didn't they teach me this in school is point number eight, save and invest 50% of every raise or bonus that you get. And I got to say, man, being somebody that's early in life, I'm thinking out and I'm like, man, if I could pull this off, I think this could be something, you know, really cool over a long period of time. And the book actually encourages people to save 90% of their bonuses. And I said, ah, that's a little bit too much for me. I'm going to have a little bit of fun with, uh, with the raises that I get too. So I wanted to ask you, Ron, what do you think about that concept of saving 50% of every salary in- increase as well as saving 50% of every bonus that you would get? Well, I think that makes good sense. And you know, the thing that I've learned about myself and about other human beings is we're, we're a fickle group, group <laughs> of people. If uh, we're going to pretty much spend, uh, you know, if you have a low income, you spend a little. If you're in middle income, you spend middle. And if you're a high income per- person, you, you spend, you know, higher. It, it's spending is always going to be kind of 
uh, related. It's relative to how much you make. And the more mm. you make, the more you spend. And I think, so the key is, is if you get a raise, it's money you've never had in your pocket before. You've never touched it. You've never seen it. Put it someplace and, and, and invest it. Because you're not going to miss it if you've not had it. You're not going to miss it. If you don't do something with it in, in, and save it or invest it in somewhere, it's going to disappear because that's human nature. That's just what we do. So true. And I can, I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, a couple of years ago, I got to, you know, running through my whole budget, my whole expenses, seeing right. what I could save, seeing what I could invest. And at some, some months it's like $50, <laughs> hundred dollars, sure. you know, it's, it's, it's next sure. to nothing. Sure. And when you have those raises, it's like, okay, you know, I can get a little bit more rocking away to something that's not my everyday expenses. And, uh, I don't know. I just like having that perspective as you go through life. If you get in the habit of doing something like that, it can make a huge difference well, over sure a long can. period of time. And it's, you hit the nail on the head. It's just a habit. It's a good habit. There are bad habits and good habits. Spending too much, of course, a bad habit. Saving too much can also be a bad habit because you do have to enjoy life because it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a short, it's a short life and it goes by very, very quickly. You do have to enjoy things on and enjoy the ride, uh, you know, along the way. It's important. So spend a little, but don't spend all of it. So to wrap up our show today, we talked about number one, marrying the financially right person. Number two, staying married to the financially right person. Number three, having and raising kids costs a lot of money, living below your means, taking care of your stuff, continuing to expand your circle of friends, making sure each and every year you give yourself an annual financial checkup. And the last one was save and invest 50% of every raise or bonus that you get. So Ron, before we wrap up our show today, do you have any final thoughts? I, I do. I, I agree with all eight points, eight of those points. And, and Sean, believe it or not, in, in other verbiage in, in Bible speak, these are all biblical principles. I mean, when you find the right spouse and and uh, I, I got to be honest with you, and I, you know, we just finished with Valentine's Day. My wife has been such a blessing to me mm. in so many ways as, uh, as a financial partner and, and any, way, any other way that a partner in marriage can be. She's just been terrific. And I, and, I, and I wish that for my kids. I wish it for you. I wish it for everybody that I know. But I, I've lived long enough, and, and I can see some situations where it's not, it's not a given. It has to be worked on. And uh, but every one of these eight principles is uh, is a biblical principle in, in some form or fashion. It's it's in the book. The Bible's an owner's manual. It's in there. Trust me. That's right. That's right. So the reason for the podcast and the real heart behind all of our messages lies in the gospel. We believe that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to this world with a message of good news. The good news is that we as humans do not need to earn our way into heaven. Instead, we need to repent of the current way that we live, living for ourselves in our own personal glory, and instead choose to invite Jesus into our lives to follow His Word, what we believe to be truth. Ultimately, we believe Jesus, after living a perfect life here on earth, was put to death for no other reason other than saying He was the Son of God thus being put to death for our sins, which he knew was going to happen. Again, the good news of the gospel of Jesus is something we did nothing to earn. It was a free gift from God. We know that after Jesus died, we believe he rose again three days later, appearing to those on earth who had deserted him before his death, ultimately ascending back up into heaven. After Jesus ascended into heaven, we receive what Jesus called the Holy Spirit to guide our lives in decision-making. We now have the freedom to live for, for God, bringing glory to God as a response to the sacrifice that He made for us on the cross. We wholeheartedly believe that we were all created to do good works, rooted in truth, what we know to be God's Word, 
driven by love with this newfound freedom as a response to this good news. So as always, be sure to connect with us at thejourneymindset.com or to visit our company page, Cornerstone, the number two invest.com to connect and learn more about what it would look like to invest with us here at Cornerstone Financial in Washington, Missouri. And we love our big thank you for tuning in today. And we love being on 99.9 KFAV.